I'd like to, uh, my name is Dan. Uh, some people call me Pastor Dan. I'm one of those ordained persons. And uh, uh, I want to share just briefly, very briefly, a little bit of an update regarding uh, the impact clubs in the schools. We uh, were blessed and successfully launched uh, six chapters in five of the elementary schools. It was a wonderful time. Uh, do we have a picture, Shelby? Working on that? I think we had a pic of the group at Ring School from Zion. Oh, that's a couple of people up front. Binkley. What's the other guy's name? Oh, thank you for everyone. Yeah, everyone who helped out, Denise, Beth, and many others. We had all together uh, in the five schools 264 students who came. So it was a wonderful time to sing. Uh, it was neat to see these children's ministry programs in most of the auditoriums, and uh, lots of students were blessed. Uh, it was really kind of weird. There were some stressful moments getting things done right. The sound system's not working. Where's the projector? Ah, things like that were happening. But overall, it went very well. Our first week was uh, really good. And uh, um, just continue to pray for us and, and for all these students who come in these schools. Some of the schools had like 70 to 80 students that came. Some had 20-some students that came for their school. And... Um, it was, it was uh, you know, some of the students, these are not church kids. When I was at Fletcher, at the end, I closed in prayer. I said, I'm going to close with a prayer. And one of the kids said, what's a prayer? So I had to explain, well, we're going to talk to God. And uh, so it was a, a real powerful time. And uh, thanks for your prayers. All right. Now's the time to preach. <clears throat> I want to start with a, a confession for you. That got your attention. Uh, kind of an odd confession that I have for you. Uh, I like to mow my lawn. I really do. There's something cathartic about it. Anybody else like to mow their lawn? Yeah. This is something kind of peaceful to mow in your lawn. And I was mowing my lawn this week for the umpteenth hundredth time. I don't know. We've been at our house for 28 years. And as I was thinking about this, I, I thought, I think I like to mow my lawn, first of all, because it's very simple. There's nothing complicated about mowing your lawn. You don't have to read a book, I don't think. Are there any books on how you There probably are books on how to mow your lawn. You don't have to have a degree. It's just, you know, you find the lines and mow a lawn and... You kind of get a little trajectory, a routine going. And I also like mowing my lawn because my lawn never complains to me if I make a mistake in mowing my lawn. You ever notice that? Like, I could miss sections and it still loves me, my lawn. And, and, and it's very consistent, my lawn. You know, it grows grass every year. It doesn't sometimes decide to grow tomatoes or kumquats. No, it grows grass all the time. Very consistent. My lawn kind of likes me, in fact. I, I don't ever have a section of my lawn threaten to leave my lawn and go over to another person's lawn because of some, something that I've done to offend my lawn. It stays faithful right there in my yard. And when it's done, I can actually look out and say, wow, Look at, it. Look at this job that I actually accomplished. It looks good. Again, it's very simple, 
mowing your lawn. <clears throat> on the other hand, the topic that I've been asked to preach on this morning is not that simple. Uh, I've been asked to preach on, Pastor Rick called me on Monday and said, well, Dan, this is what they chose, God's wrath versus God's love. How do we put those two together? Not a simple topic. <clears throat> it's kind of interesting that uh, Pastor Rick kind of skedaddled out of town this weekend. That'll preach. No, Dan will preach that. I'll go up to Chautauqua. I'll bet they're not having this sermon preached on up at Chautauqua. If you preached on this topic at Chautauqua very much, you might not get invited back. <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe you would. The idea of God's wrath has fallen on hard times lately. In our world, any concept of a God of wrath, uh, it seems intolerant, very unpopular. You don't ever have someone say to you, hey, come on over to our house this Friday night. We're going to sit around and talk about God's wrath. No, <laughs> I never have. <clears throat> We live in a world today where we have set ourselves up as the judge, and God is sort of on trial in ways. Well, in Christianity, we read in the Bible that we serve a God of love and a God of justice, a God of love and grace and a God of justice, and dare I say the word judgment. Someday we're going to stand before God. And I remember when I was in seminary, I took a class from Dr. John Weeboard. He said something about God's grace I'll never forget. He said, if all you do is preach about, well, he said, if all you do is preach about God's wrath and the laws of God, you produce a mean Christianity. You produce mean Christians. And then he said, but if all you do is preach about God's love and God's grace, you produce a lazy Christianity. And I think we need to understand that there is a God of both of these things. Now, many of us really struggle with this. How can a God of love be a God filled with anger? You ever heard someone ask you that? How can a God of love also be a God of anger? But I like to respond to that by saying, wait a minute, don't all loving people sometimes get angry? You should. In fact, if you are indeed a loving person, you should at times get angry, especially, especially when you see people ruining themselves. It should, it should affect your emotions. Anger and wrath isn't the opposite of love. Hate is the opposite of love. In fact, the Bible teaches that God's wrath flows out of his love. I'm going to read several passages of Scripture within the message this morning. It's a topical sermon. God gets angry at evil and justice because it destroys people whom he loves. And it destroys love and peace. In fact, I don't think that you can truly love with all the injustice in this world and evil in this world without getting angry at times. Well, God is the same way, and we are made in his image. You know what that means? God has will, intellect, and emotion. We, too, have will, intellect, and emotion. God gets angry at times also. Let me read to you uh, at least a couple of passages, verses from Scripture. Psalm 145. 
The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving towards all whom he has made. He is righteous in all his ways and he's loving toward all whom he has made. And he's, God so loved the world. We love those passages. God is love. But then we read, for example, in Deuteronomy, this, word, this verse, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. That verse is repeated several times in the Bible. Well, I studied a lot this week, prayed a lot this week, and read through a lot of stuff, and I'd like to share with you some important truths about God's wrath from Scripture. First of all, God's wrath is just. It's right. It's actually just. Paul wrote, Because of your hard and unrepentant hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself when God's judgment will be revealed. Romans chapter 2. God's wrath then relates to our hard hearts and our unwillingness to repent. Yikes. You see, God's wrath is actually love in action against sin. Let me say that again. God's wrath is love in action against sin. We don't like to hear a whole lot about sin either, do we? But we need to hear about sin. God's wrath in the Bible, J.I. Packer wrote in his book, Knowing God, God's wrath in the Bible is never the unpredictable, self-indulgent, or repugnant wrath like our human anger is. Instead, it is a right and necessary reaction to evil. It is a right and necessary reaction to evil. God, like us, has a right to be angry. His wrath is just. And it should be. Just look at some people who are in prison right now unjustly. You know, we have over 2 million Americans in prison right now in our country. Don't you think many of these people are in prison unjustly? They are. That should stir up some emotions in us. Just look at how children go without food, or worse yet, are abused, neglected. That should make us angry. It does me. Look at the awful school shootings and mass shootings that happen about, what, once every other month in our country? It makes God sad and angry. Doesn't that stir your emotions? His anger is just. And it's okay for you and me to be angry, too. Just don't hang on to that anger too long. You know? When you go to bed, try to put that anger away. It's not always easy. In Proverbs, we read something else about God's wrath. Actually, we read it several times. Any of you know what I'm about to say, what the, what the scripture is about God's wrath? The beginning, it says, the fear of God is what? The beginning of all wisdom. The fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. That's what it says three, at least three times in the book of Proverbs. That's repeated along with Proverbs 2 and chapter 9. This is really basic. But God's wrath is to be feared because we don't always do things right. It's okay to be a, a respectful and a bit fearful of God. Now, one of the ways that I can understand this is through the lens of my parents and through the lens of your parents. My mom and dad, uh, I always knew that my mom and dad loved us. They were very, I was raised in a very loving home. Um, 
But my mom and dad had this great ability to somehow blend uh, love and uh, discipline, compassion and right and wrong. In other words, they taught me that there was a line that I should not cross, right? Any of you have any stories of something like that in your life? Uh, I remember, I'll never forget when I was about, I think, 10 or 11 years old, and uh, I was kind of a cocky kid at times, believe it or not. <laughs> you all know that. Oh, yeah, I can see you. I was kind of a know-it-all kid at times. And one time, my mother uh, did something that kind of perturbed me, and I called her Verna. I called her Verna. Now, Verna's her name. But uh, I was 10 years old, and we were taught, you call mom, mom or mama only, and dad, dad. Well, I was upset, and I called her Verna, and the only thing I can remember is she was standing near a fly swatter, because she took that fly swatter, and it somehow got wrapped around my torso. I still remember the little square hole thing there, <laughs> and I never called her Verna again. To this day, my mom's not here, but if I even say the word Verna, I get nervous. <clears throat> and now, don't get me wrong, I'm not proposing that you go out and buy fly swatters. For your, <laughs> in fact, I think they're much more painful. I, I'm not a real corporal punishment person. Um, probably taking away screen time is worse than any fly swatter, right? Or a timeout in the corner works better. But you know what? A healthy sense of respect, even fear, I think is needed in any family, or maybe any organization as well. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. But here's something else about wrath. God's justice is not just for punishment. It's for correction. Don't ever forget that. Um, God's justice isn't just punitive. It's to correct us and help us to be better people. When people say today, we want justice, what they usually mean is we want punishment. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. In fact, our judicial system is almost entirely based on this concept of punitive justice. But it seems from Scripture that God's justice is a little different, at least in this world. In fact, we read in many of the prophets when they were warned not to continue in idolatry or judgment was coming, they were always told that God is going to restore them, to bring them back to himself. In, Ecclesi in Ezekiel chapter 16, uh, this prophecy was against Israel. This is what the sovereign Lord says, I will deal with you as you deserve because you have despised my oath by breaking my covenant. Verse 60, Yet I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth. I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed. Then when I make atonement for you all, for all that you have done, I will make atonement. You will remember and be ashamed and never again open your mouth because of your humiliation declares the Lord. <clears throat> the point of many of the messages and the prophets was not simply to punish, but to draw Israel back to God. Correction and admonition are, are not simply for punishment, uh, but for correction. 
Or as Tevya on Fiddler on the Roof said, uh, if you always make eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth as the goal, then the whole world will end up blind and toothless. And even the Apostle Paul, when he wrote about that person caught in sin in 1 Corinthians, he wrote about disciplining that immoral brother. He wrote this in, in chapter 5, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians. Hand that man over to Satan so that his sinful nature might be destroyed, so that his spirit might be saved someday. In fact, God's punishment, it seems like he's loving us all the more. The little timeouts that he gives us and the discipline he gives us are to actually make us to be better people. And by the way, a little aside, God's love and God's wrath are in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's common to think of this Old Testament God as the God of wrath and the New Testament God as the God of kindness and patience, uh, but that's not true. We find much of God's wrath in the New Testament and the Old Testament. I read the book of Matthew yesterday. I was helping down the city mission for a while. I had some time. I read through the book of Matthew. Jesus talked a lot about judgment too. In Revelation 19, from his mouth comes a sword. Verse 15, comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of God's wrath, the Almighty. By the way, the chapter right after Revelation 19 is chapter 20, where we read about another controversial topic. I guess we ought to go into there. It's good. I can just get out of here, and you can not have to deal with me after this. Um, but there's another controversial topic in there called final judgment. So let's talk a little bit about final judgment. The Bible teaches us about this thing called eternal punishment. A lot of us struggle with this, and I do too. How can we reconcile the idea of hell with a loving God? Let's think about this. You know, I have to admit to you that I don't totally understand the concept of hell or final judgment I have a lot of questions, and I think it's okay for us to have a lot of questions. I love people who have a lot of questions and doubts, and they wonder, how can you have eternal darkness, and yet there's also flames in hell? I don't get that. I don't know. Is there really going to be flames in hell? And I don't know. There's been all kinds of caricatures and misunderstandings of hell I became a Christian when I was in college. And I'll never forget when I first became a Christian, a lot of my friends, well, they cared for me, but they did not care for my decision to become a Christian. And I remember some of my friends saying to me, well, Dan, you go to heaven with your friends, and we'll go to hell with our buddies. And, uh, and then I... I read a lot in the Bible about hell, especially Luke chapter 16. There's a great story. I don't have time to get into it, of the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And if there's anything that you see with what Jesus said about hell is that hell is uh, a lonely place, a place where you go for eternity all by yourself 
to have remorse like the rich man had, to have remorse for the things that you've done. I like what C.S. Lewis said about hell, though. Lewis, who is a great theologian, wrote a number of books, Chronicles of Narnia and so forth, early 20th century. Lewis wrote this. The door to hell is locked from the inside, not the outside. In other words, people have this concept of, uh, this wrong concept of a God in heaven waiting till people die so that he can throw them into hell and lock them in. But friends, just the opposite is true. God loves you and me more than we will ever know. But some people never come to accept that or believe in a God who made them and who loves them. So they spend their lives running from God. They don't give God thanks for even the simple things in life. In fact, according to Romans 1, that's where it all starts. They refuse to give God thanks. And then they kind of grow bitter against God. They see God as this rule maker, and that's not what God is. He's not just a taskmaker, rule maker, trying to make our lives miserable. And so, for various reasons, they grow bitter against God and they lock him out. And they don't want to have anything to do with God. And they lock him out. And so, in the end, when they die, they get what they've lived for, which is to be apart and separated from God. The door to hell is actually locked on the inside. And Tim Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, he wrote, Hell is simply one's freely chosen will to be apart from God on a trajectory into eternity. And when we go to sleep, that last sleep, we are apart from him. And everything good comes from God. And hell is a place where God is not. Everything good comes from God. So the absence of God is hell. And God doesn't want that for us. God wants to get the hell out of you. Okay, right? He wants to get hell away from us. This isn't a question of God throwing us into hell. In each of us, there is something that can grow into hell. In each of us. Wow, okay, let's all go eat worms now. That's not a very pleasant sermon to preach on. This has been a challenging topic, I know. But friends, I want to tell you the opposite is so good. We, we serve a good, good father. You have to believe. Can you believe? In 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, we read, Jesus Christ came into the world to save us. He came into the world to save us. He didn't bring us into the world. Actually, hell was created for for Satan and his cohorts, not for us. The devil is trying to trick us into believing that God is not there, that he doesn't love us, but he does. This has been a challenging topic. It makes me want to go home and mow my lawn. But the Bible doesn't end 
it doesn't end with the topic of God's wrath. The Bible ends with a scene of grace and beauty, with a beautiful lawn. It's the image in chapter 22, we see the image of a garden and a river flowing through it called the river of life. It ends with an invitation to know and receive a God who loves you, who made you, and who has good plans for you. If only we would believe. That's not easy, is it? Maybe it's the hardest thing to believe. It ends with Revelation chapter 2, with Jesus saying, Come, whoever is thirsty, let him or her come and drink from the free gift of the water of life. And the very last word uh, reads, The grace and love of the Lord Jesus be with you forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come here to church every Sunday to celebrate your turning things around, your resurrection, your goodness to us, your love. And yet we live in a very cynical world. There are many other teachings out there. There's so much screen time out there telling us otherwise. Encourage your people today. This has been a tough topic, but I pray that you would encourage your people today to know your goodness, to live in your grace, and to live that grace and love to those around us. Thank you for your word, Lord. I pray this morning for your word that I preached. I pray that there, where there has been truth, that you would harbor it deep within our hearts. And if there be any falsehood, that it would find no lodging place. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.